I would like us to pray this morning. Um, I would like you to stand again. <laughs> and I would like you just to join hands across the aisle as just a statement of unity as we go to God's Word today. And uh, let me pray this morning, all right? Um, Father, we've learned in our life groups this morning that, that Jesus, you prayed that we would be one as you and the Father are one, that all the world might know that you came from the Father. And so, Father, I pray in these days that you would not only draw us to yourself, but you would draw us to one another. And Father, we pray that we would believe your word and that those that we speak to would believe your word. And Father, we know the promise of your scripture is that your word will not return void, but it will accomplish that for which it was sent. And Father, today uh, as a church, as we, Father, hold hands together, we, um, in united prayer today, we first pray uh, for kick. Cricket and Kim uh, that are in the rainforest of West Africa today. And uh, we pray that as they teach and they speak the word of God, uh, that you would take that word and you would accomplish your purpose in the lives of those who hear. We pray for strength and protection for Cricket and for Kim. Uh, we pray that you would direct their steps and their words. You would give them boldness. You would give them strength. Uh, Father, help us to be faithful to pray for them uh, in this time in which they are gone. And Father, we pray the same thing for us today, that as we look to your word, uh, that it would accomplish that for which you send it for today, that we would have hearts to receive, that there would be a sense of surrender today as we begin this time uh, that we would say to you God speak to my life any way you choose today and father give me a receptive heart and a life uh, that responds in action to do what you asked me to do and so we pray that you would speak to us today and we pray it in Jesus name and all God's people said Amen. Amen. Thank you. Um, last, last January, I ran my last marathon. And what I'm saying to you today is, no, it's, it was my last. I'm done. <laughs> Not just the last one I've done, but the last one I will ever do. Um, and one thing that I did is I decided that I would not look at my watch in the 26.2 miles. Uh, I had reasons to do that. That was kind of my thought going in is I'm not going to look at my watch. I'm just going to run. Uh, let my body speak to me and part of that was oh I don't have time to tell all this story but the attempt at a marathon before that I crashed and burned and um, I don't know I 
was looking at my watch too much and thinking, hey, I need to keep this pace and I'm going to set my personal best and I want to do this. And uh, as the scripture says, pride cometh before the fall. Big pride, big fall. Uh, the sun came out. It got a little bit warmer. I'd set my pace too fast and crashed and burned. So this one, my last one, I don't know if I mentioned that. Uh, <laughs> I'll ever do. Um, I decided I wasn't going to look at my watch. I wasn't going to be concerned about pace. I was just going to run. And uh, as you know, I, I have this little uh, website I can look at called Map My Run. And it's an app on my phone, too. And I can, I can plot out my miles. And you kind of have to know this, that obviously it takes months to train. And uh, I'm kind of a numbers guy. Woo! So I map out these routes, you know. And um, it's so bad and I can't do it today because about 10 months have passed, but uh, I, I will memorize that route in my mind, and I know my mile markers. I know when I come to certain spots in these roads around here that uh, I could tell you from mile 1 to mile 26 where my mile marker was, and what I would typically do is, you know, I'm, I'm doing some little math games in my head maybe to, you know, distract my, what my, going on with my body, and and I can look at my watch, and uh, I could tell you my pace. You know, I could, I could calculate it. Yes, uh, Brother Gary, I painted numbers on your road. Um, that's true. Y'all's road has numbers. I've run out there. It is so bad I've run some of these routes. I know where certain indentions are in the asphalt. I mean, it's bad when you run that much. You just kind of go, I know there's two little indentions. I can tell you a certain spot a mile from my house uh, out Homer Cemetery Road. There's two, and there is this, this Brother Gary, don't, you threw me off there. There's this, there in the asphalt, also about a mile from my house, uh, there's, um, there's this weird configuration in the asphalt and it looks like Africa. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm not saying I'm normal. I'm just, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm serious. I've run this so much. But, you know, when I, even the 26.2 miles, I could memorize where my mile markers are. And theoretically, in my training, what I would have done is I would have known my pace because I go, okay, I'm a mile, mile such and such in my watch. And I would sit there and calculate in my brain what my pace was and how I was doing. But that day, no. I was just going to run. And, um, and really my intent was to come to 26.2 miles and literally look at my watch and turn it off and go, oh, look. But I got greedy. I was a block from the house. And some of you, uh, Brother Shane, Amy, would have checked on me that day. Byron, you know, drove by. They just want to make sure I'm not dead on the side of the highway somewhere, you know, more than anything else. I know your mother's like sending words and going, go check on your father. I think he's somewhere over by Homer Cemetery or someplace like that. And, um, but I asked them, I said, don't, don't tell me what time it is. You know, and I don't want to know what time of day it is. I don't want anything. I don't want time. I'm just going to run and, and I'm going to do that. And um, actually, I, a block from the house, I just couldn't stand it anymore. And I looked down and quite honestly, uh, I was quite disappointed. I'm going, oh, wow, <laughs> that was really slow. <laughs> Uh, as I remember, I looked down, it was, it was five hours and 21 minutes, and I had a, a minute to the house. So 
I think, my last marathon, and which is pretty pathetic. Uh, but I don't know anybody else in the room that's run five hours because anybody that runs marathons would run it less than five hours, Jana, surely. I don't know, but it was, it was five hours and 21 minutes, which was not what I was wanting. But what occurs to me is this is really true for life in many respects, is you really don't know how well you've run the race until you come to the end. And quite honestly, there's been marathons that I attempted that I didn't even finish. At least that day I finished. It's not until you finish the race that you really know how well you've run. And I'm saying that as a life truth. That we run the race, many of us that we think that God has called us to run, and, uh, but the reality is it's not until we come to the end that we will really know how well we've run. Jesus uh, spoke in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 19, 20, and 21. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I believe Jesus was teaching us not only that we had a, a choice to lay up treasures on earth or in heaven, but really the other thing that Jesus was teaching was that day by day, as we make choices, either intentionally or not intentionally, we are investing our time talents and money in something and it may be earthly or it may be heavenly but this is a process that is going on day by day and moment by moment and my point this morning is we don't really know what the score is we don't really know and in my mind I can be saying I'm laying up treasures in heaven but I but even the preacher's not going to know until I get there what's in my account. Does that make sense? We don't really know how well we've run the race until the race is over. But Jesus was teaching us, challenging us, his followers, to invest eternally our time, talents, and money. And as we've talked about in the previous week, we, weeks, we do that by using our time, talents, and money for the advancement of the gospel, the building of God's kingdom, to impact people for eternity because it is only people that are eternal in this world. Everything else will someday be gone. Jesus taught not only that we are to invest in eternal things, but he taught 
what I've just introduced to you, that someday there will be an accounting. And all of us will stand before God and there will be an account given by us before God who knows everything about our investment that we have made of our time, talents, and money in eternal things. Jesus spoke about this in a parable in Matthew chapter 25. Um, that when we pass into eternity, our treasure will be revealed. In the parable in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14, this is what Jesus said. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you a ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, here you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus taught the principle of laying 
up treasure in heaven early in his ministry in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. At the end of his ministry, and these are, these are in the last, Jesus speaks these parables in the last days on earth, that he speaks to them that you need to understand that as you lay up treasures day by day, there will come a day of accounting. And he describes it in this parable. I want you to notice what Jesus teaches them and us today. In verse 14, he makes it very clear that the talents that the master gives to the servants are the master's talents. In verse 14, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. It's very clear in the story that Jesus is teaching that the talents were the master's, not the servants. The servants were only entrusted with the talents and were to be stewards of those talents. They were not their talents. In fact, everyone in the story knows this, that they were the master's talents. Um, even the, the wicked servant acknowledges this in verse 18. He says, but he who had received the one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. So he knew it wasn't his. Uh, verse, hmm, well, verse 25, he says, I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, and so he says, look, here you have what is yours. It's very clear in the story that the talents were the masters, not the servants. And Jesus is teaching us that he has also blessed us but what he has blessed us with is not ours. We are simply stewards of what God has blessed us with. Your time, your talent, your money is not yours at all. It is God's. And that is a very significant point, I believe, that Jesus is making and would want us to know today. Verse 15, what God has blessed us with... <laughs> is not equal. You may be offended by this point. That's fine. It's not my point. It's Jesus' point. Verse 15, that he did not give equal amounts to each servant. It says, to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. There was five talents, two talents, and one talent. Now, um, don't want to spend a lot of time, but... Uh, <laughs> There is a, the English word that means talent, we have one thing in our mind, but in the story that Jesus tells, talent is first and foremost a, uh, a unit of measurement of weight. And in my understanding, a talent was a weight and it was about 70 pounds. And then what happened in time was when that is applied to a precious metal like gold or silver, then it has, a, uh, in essence, a dollar amount. It has a, an economic value. And what we have to understand is when, uh, when Jesus gives talents, it, a talent would be equivalent, or when the master in the story gives a talent, the talent would be equivalent dollar amount to about 20 years of salary. For an average working man, a denarius, 6,000 denarii. 
Uh, and so when you have a man that he, the master gives five talents, you're talking about a hundred years worth of, of, of a man working. You're talking well over a million dollars to this man, to the first man, and then proportionally there. Um, and so the master in the story gives different amounts to different servants but part of the point of the story is each servant was just as accountable as the next one the same is true for also for us that God has also given us different amounts of time talents and money and that's just the reality is we're not all gifted the same way we're not in the same economic uh, status, some of us have greater responsibility, so have greater demands on our time schedule, and we might say have less time than other people that have more free time. But the reality is, is we learn from the story that the master does not bless with the same amount, but each servant is just as accountable as the other. Also in verse 15, you notice though, it says, to, to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, here it is, to each according to his own ability. To each according to his own ability. So what, what is Jesus communicating here? That the master looked at the ability of the man who got the five talents and said he has greater capability of using my resources for my benefit. And so even though the word talent is not used in the scripture as we would think of it. The reality is it is connected in the story to ability. And what I want you to understand is God not only blesses us with time and, and money, but God also blesses each one of us with talent or talents. And those, just like the five, two, and one, vary. So our talents vary, but God has blessed each one of us. Uh, you might have a Shane Stover who is gifted musically. Not as gifted as the church pianist, but he's pretty good. He has to work at it more than the church pianist, but you've got to respect that. He has a, a strong work ethic. But Shane has strong musical ability. Uh, you've got a Rob Hughes in our congregation today. I'm just calling out people. That's all I'm doing who is Mr. Forestry in the state of Texas, and I'm just, I'm just embarrassing Rob as best I can. Um, and Rob has talent in growing trees, which he uses for the benefit for us as a church for a kingdom purpose because he helps us with the timberland we have. And I'm thankful for him. He sent me emails this week or last week about how the, that land was going. He has skills, ability in forestry. Um, Brother Vincent, boom, I knew you were here. I'm sorry, I'm just calling out people. Brother Vincent, I love Brother Vincent, he's got a bucket truck. He's wishing he, the preacher never heard that he had a bucket truck. Because I'm saying, hey, Brother Vincent, why don't you bring that bucket truck down here with your electrical skills. We need to work on, and when I mean we, I mean the work on the parking lot lights 
I will be standing there making sure you don't fall out and splatter. Um, and I have to call your wife. That would be tragic, wouldn't it? Um, that's why I don't stand right underneath the bucket truck. I stand back a ways. I'm joking. But I appreciate Brother Vincent. He has not only a bucket truck, but he has skills in electrical that he uses for an eternal purpose. Um, Darlene Barnard. You know, y'all know what Darlene Barnard's nickname is? Shug. Dar Darlene, I'm, I'm in trouble. I'm in big trouble. I done crossed the line. I went from Vincent to Darlene. Darlene just loves people. And that's why she's out there at the Welcome Center just greeting and loving people. I don't know that Darlene knows anything about electricity. Uh, you know, I just, not that I know of. But that's all right because she loves people. And if she doesn't know your name, she just calls you Suge. I'm just, I'm just telling you her game. Uh, but, uh, oh, I was going to go on, but I'm, uh, yeah, probably getting in deeper and deeper trouble, aren't I? No, the reality is all of us have been gifted in different ways, but God can use that for the building of his kingdom. And it may be musical. Um, it may be people skills. Uh, you may be a Steve Gross that has technical abilities. Or you may be one of our life group teachers that has the ability to teach. You may be a servant. Or you may have organizational skills. But God has given you that ability along with time and money for the advancement of his kingdom for you to use whatever it is whatever ability whatever talent God has given you each according to his own ability we notice in the story in verses 16 17 and 18 that the three servants made choices about what to do with the master's money. Verse 16, he who had received the five talents went and, here's the word, traded with them and made five, made another five talents. I don't know what kind of trading that was, whether he bought commodities and then sold those commodities, if he bought land and uh, bought seed and planted that, planted that and I think the master was gone a long time, so we don't know what all that looked like. But the point is, he intentionally took what the, the master had given him, and he, he traded it. Now, in verse 17, the one that got two, likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. We don't really know what he did, but they took the initiative to use what the master had given them um, because there was an expectation of why the master had given them those things. The, the contrast in the story, in fact, the contrast is already spoken in verse 18 when Jesus is telling the story. He says, but, so he's gone. Here's the guy that got five. Here's the guy that got two. But in contrast to that, but the guy that got one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. We all have a choice 
how we are going to use what God has given us, and the expectation is to use it in such a way that it benefits the master. It was true in the story. It is true in our lives. Verse 19. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came. And we don't know how long time, and obviously this is a fictitious story that Jesus tells. As far as we know, not based on a factual story, but this is a story that Jesus teaches to teach us spiritual truth. But part of what I understand in the story that it was an undetermined amount of time, unspecified amount of time, that the master was to be gone. What occurs to me in, in a day 2,000 years ago when there were not cell phones, there was not internet, there was not phone service, there was no other way. In essence, the master says to these guys, here's five, here's two, here's one. I'm going on a long journey and I'm going to come back. I don't know if that was two months. I don't know if that was 20 years. All the servants knew to do is to take what the master had given them and in the time that they had to be the best stewards of that possible. And you know what occurs to us today is God's time in our life is unspecified and undetermined. We don't really know. But what is the challenge? That you and I have a window of opportunity until he comes or we are called home to use our time, talents, and money for his glory and for his benefit. And all we know to do is to be busy about the master's work and what brings him glory until he calls us home or he comes again. It is our window of opportunity to use. But the point of the story, one of the points of the story, is someday that window of opportunity will be over. It's true for all of us. There will come a day in our time to use what God has blessed us with. It will be over. Verse 19, the second phrase, it says, after a long time the Lord of those servants came, and here it is, and settled accounts with them. Well, it makes a lot of sense. It was the master's money. And the question when he got back to town is, dude, I gave you over a million dollars. What did you do with it? What I want you to understand today and the force of Jesus' story, and there's a lot of truths in here, but this is the truth, is that someday all of us will be held to account before a God who knows all things with the question, what did you do with what I blessed you with? What did you do with your time? What did you do with your talents? What did you do with your money? All of us will stand before God someday and give an account. The first servant comes to the master and he says, Master, you gave me five talents and I have traded those and here are five more talents. Now I want to suspend the story right there. 
Now, we've read the story, and we know that the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. I would contend today that first man that came did not know what the master's response was going to be. He knew there was an expectation to use what the master had given him for the master's benefit. But is it appropriate in the time that he had to take five talents and to double it and now have ten talents? And notice he's giving it back to the master. It is in the master's money, not his. I would contend today that he didn't know. Now the second guy's feeling a little bit better because he's heard what he said to the first guy, I think, the way I see the story. You see, we can have a plan and we can do what seems right to us, but until the master says, well done, it is simply our evaluation of what we thought was reasonable according to the master's expectations. We don't really know how we've run the race until the race is over. And none of us really know what our treasure looks like in heaven until we stand before God and God says here it is you know the picture I get even from from Matthew chapter 6 of Jesus say who says don't be laying up treasure on earth but be laying up treasures in heaven that when we give our time talents and money for the advancement of the gospel and to impact people for eternity there's credit to our account there's a treasure chest in heaven boop 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 you know, that's the sound of money being put in a treasure chest. I don't know. Uh, but we don't know. We can't see that. It's not like God is sending us quarterly reports. Of like, oh, here's how your, your account's tracking. No, we really don't know until we get there. And so I would contend that the man with the five talents, when he brought five, did not really know what the master was going to say. But what glorious words. Well done good and faithful servant you were faithful over a few things I will make you a ruler over many things enter into the joy of your Lord the same is said of the man with two talents because it is proportional it was proportionally equal to the man who had doubled his money had, had five and now he had five more and the man who had two had two more and so the same exact words, well done, good and faithful servant, you have been faithful over a few things, I will make you ruler over many things, enter into the joy of your Lord. He says, because you've been faithful with what I've given you, I'm going to give you even greater responsibility, opportunities to work for the master. And then he says, the very significant words, enter into the joy of your Lord. I receive you into myself as I've come home. You can be a part of what I have because you have been faithful. But really, quite honestly, Jesus tells that whole story to get to the point of the man with the one talent. And so the third servant comes. And it says in verse 24, Then he who received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, here you have what is yours. Uh, hmm. If you think about it, it's 
the man gives an excuse to the master and his excuse is, you're a hard man. The reason I made the choice that I made is because you're really a hard businessman. And, uh, that, and so it's kind of odd that the man, in essence, blames the master for his lack of doing anything with what the master has given him. I was a f- and so he said, no, I, I, I caved to fear. I was afraid I was going to lose it, therefore I buried it, and I did nothing. But Lord, I want you to know that I'm bringing back what is yours. One of the things that strikes me about the story is the man did not waste it on himself. He didn't do anything bad. He just didn't do anything. And the master's response to that man was, well, okay, well, that's, at least you didn't lose my money. No, he says, you wicked and lazy servant. And to complete the story, the first two men, he says, enter into my joy. It says this man is cast out because the master deemed him a wicked and lazy servant because he did nothing with the master's resources out of fear of losing them. I want to conclude with this. That what we learn and what Jesus wanted us to learn is that God is keeping a record. God is keeping a record. Uh, He knows what is in that treasure chest in heaven. Whatever we are sending, however we are using our time, talents, and money for the advancement of the gospel, God, day by day, moment by moment, is keeping a record. We may not know, but God knows. But we need to live our day today with a view of eternity in mind, knowing that someday we will stand before God and our treasure chest will be open and God will say, this is what you did with my time, my talent, and our money. Um, There is a scripture that Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And he says, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. For if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Here it is. Each one's work will become clear for the day, he means the judgment day, will declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on the... On it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. The day will declare it. Even though God is keeping a record, it is unclear to us now what we are accumulating 
in our eternal account. But someday that will be revealed. And my challenge to you is that we need to live our days today with a view of eternity in mind, knowing that that accounting day is coming. I want to challenge you as we conclude these sermons on eternal giving, eternal investing, that you take a risk. And quite honestly, it's only risky from an earthly perspective. From a heavenly perspective, it's a sure investment. But I would say to you that it is risky for you to sit here and seeing with your human eyes and looking at your time, your talents, and your money and saying, how am I going to use those? And there is a safe course that you can take and you can live the life that everyone else lives with those around you. But it is possible that by doing that, you are simply burying your time, your talents, and your money in a hole thinking that someday I will bef appear before God and say, well, I didn't do anything bad. Not really. And in God's evaluation, it will be the same as the wicked and lazy servant. It strikes me that God was, would be so offended with a person that didn't waste it on themselves. They just didn't do anything with it. I, I want to challenge you to take a risk. And actually the the other side of the coin for risk in spiritual terms is the word faith. Would you have the faith to invest in something that you have never seen, eternity? Would you go counter to what everything else you see with your eyes and what everyone else is doing and say, no, but I will, I will live with a view of eternity in mind so that every day my thought process will be, how am I investing my time, my talents, and my, my money in the things that are eternal? Here's the thing. The people that are investing, or if we invest all of those things in earthly things, I know what the return on that investment will be. Someday, it will be zero. I don't care if I've paid for my house for the last 25 years. <laughs> Someday, that house isn't going to be mine. And if you push out history long enough, that house isn't even going to be there. Whatever I accumulate and I don't know, worldly possessions or retirement accounts, someday I, there's gonna, something's going to happen. You know what it is? Death. Why would you invest your time, your talents, and your money in something that one event you could lose it all? Doesn't it make sense to live in faith and to say, why wouldn't I go with something that, I ha that has a certain return, and that is when I invest my time, talents, and resources in eternal things because God is storing them, and God, the eternal God, is keeping a record. Where moth and rust cannot destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. I want to challenge you 
to change the way that you've lived. But it, it takes faith. The worldly word would be risk. I understand. You've never seen there. But Jesus said someday you and I are going to be there standing before God and we're going to have to give an account of what we did with his stuff. The classic quote, and I end with this, huh. Jim Elliott. Wow. As a 20-something-year-old man left everything and went to a tribe in South America and days after landing that bush plane, along the Amazon was killed but he wrote in his journal before he died not knowing he was gonna die he is no fool who would lose what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose he is no fool who would lose what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I would challenge you in the same way to take stock of your time, your talents, and money and invest them in a way someday that there will be an eternal and a certain return. Amen? Amen. If you would stand with me this morning. Father, today, we pray that you would give us the eyes of faith to see life not as we see it, but as you see it. And Father, I would pray for us uh, individually that you would speak to us about our time, talents, and money. And Father, you would just, we would just allow your Holy Spirit to speak to us about what is it that out of fear... We're simply just hiding. And Father, I pray that you'd give us the faith to step out and to use that in a way that would impact eternity. And so, Father, I pray that you'd bring us to very practical steps today as you speak this truth to us. And Father, we pray it in Jesus' name.